Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. And oh, did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. That's right. It's time for With the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is Episode 8. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman. He has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. So what are we going to talk about today, Rick? We're going to talk about the old Cowboys there. We'll talk quickly about uh, what happened on Sunday. We'll take a look at my most recent mock draft so we can get into the possible trade-up scenarios for teams that are looking to get to that first overall pick. We'll do a little senior bowl preview because in a week, Rick and I are going to be in Mobile, Alabama. By the way, a little programming note, we'll record a podcast next Thursday instead of Monday, which is typically when we record, so we can get you a little senior bowl recap because they'll practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before they move to the game on Saturday. Uh, and also remember, you can watch the show live usually every Monday at 2 p.m. Uh, on the Pick 6 YouTube channel. You can get the audio version on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search with the first pick. And by the way, if you have a draft question for me or Rick or a suggestion for Rick's picks, our favorite segment, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know. We'll answer them on an upcoming mailbag episode. And by the way, uh, as we head into Senior Bowl week here, if you want to keep up with our goings-on, get get, get clips, excuse me, uh, from the show, uh, from Mobile, with the players and what they're up to, you can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on the old TikTok machine, at NFL Draft CBS. And you'll get updates and show clips from there. All right, Rick. It's go time. <laughs> Longtime general manager. And we heard Jerry Jones speak after the game yesterday. He was sick. Sick, sick, sick. He kept saying. Yeah, sick. How concerned are you if you're a general manager when your franchise quarterback gets outplayed by, by Mr. Irrelevant? <laughs> well, I don't know if he got outplayed. He just pretty just didn't turn the ball over and right. and Dak Prescott did, and that was a difference in the game, basically. And I thought Kyle Shanahan did a phenomenal job of knowing the defense and what Dan Quinn did with that defense, because I thought Dallas's defense played well enough to win, is what they did is they took the air out of the ball. They started running the ball. They tried to wear down Dallas's defense. They tried to control the clock. When you watch the fourth quarter, I'm sitting there watching them snap the ball, and it's under 10 seconds every time, which was great. And you know what? When I was watching that, it reminded me of what San Fran did last year when they mm -hmm. went into Dallas to beat the Dallas Cowboys, almost the same formula. But 
right now you're so raw in emotions after that loss yesterday. And I've been through when we lost the uh, a couple of uh, NFC championship games that you want to kind of take a step back. You get through your press conferences. Uh, you get through all your exit interviews with the players. Um, but you have to really take a couple of days because you don't want to judge personnel and what you're going to do from a roster standpoint to improve your football club coming up into the free agency in the draft in pure raw emotions. You want to make sure you go ahead and collect yourself, uh, let the air out, uh, regroup, and then come back, meet with your coaches, meet with your scouts, uh, and then start talking about the players on your roster, uh, guys we want to keep, guys that we think we can or can't win with. And then if we can't win with those guys or we have to make a cap casualty out of a player just to get underneath the cap or to save some cap room before we get into free agency. Uh, what's that going to look like and and who are we going to replace them with? So those are a you... lot of things that you start to look at. And, uh, but that takes time between now and the, uh, the combine is when you're really starting to formulate your off season plan. So it's about three, maybe four weeks. And I'm glad you mentioned, okay, what's plan B if you want to get rid of a player, because as you mentioned, the emotions are raw. Cowboys fans were very frustrated with Dak Prescott and the conversation. First of all, let me tell you, uh, they loved him last week. They so loved him last week. Tampa. And he, he look, he's thrown a lot of uh, turnovers in the last eight games, except for last week. And, and there are concerns there, but his dead cap hit is $89 million. That's the starting point of this conversation. So that ain't, he's not going anywhere. He's not you're going anywhere. To him and, and you're stuck with him till death do us part. Yeah, so they have at least one more year with them, and then you can you can I mean you can eat forty millions of cap hit next year if you want to, but I mean right that the smile on your face says it all. You you have this isn't Russ Wilson type marriage, but it, you got him for two more years to sort this yeah. out. So I, I think your point is you're not going to draft a quarterback. You're not going to get Lamar Jackson in a trade. Uh, well, maybe I mean I don't know. Let's yeah, say- yeah, just so you know, and the and the fans know out there, you just can't trade player for player because of oh it'll all- be draft picks too. Yeah, but uh, still, if you trade that dead cap that you just talked about, accelerates yeah. into the, the the team that is trading that player away. So you don't trade that cap space to someone else. No, oh, they they okay? have to pay it up front. They they have to all of that proration. That, yeah. Okay, you gave the guy the the uh, whatever guarantees or how you let, let's just say a signing bonus. So let's say you gave a guy a four million dollar signing bonus on a four year deal. And after year one, okay, you want to trade that player. So you gave him $4 million to sign the contract, okay, and then I'm not counting this paragraph five. And then you're able to spread that out through the cap uh, by prorating it through that four years. So it's only $1 million of that signing bonus that counts first year, $2 million of the second year, $3 million of the third year, and then in the fourth year, you're in the clear. Right. But if you trade him after year two, that – Guaranteed money on the back end of that contract all accelerates. So you have to actually eat that money in order to trade him. So that's why you don't see a lot of these big time, I guess, um, players getting traded. And like, for example, if you want to go down the A.J. Brown route, uh, well, he was coming up out of contract. So there was no dead money that really Tennessee had to work or, or any significant dead money, if there was any at all, that Tennessee had to worry about. So you have to understand the structures of your contract, but you also have to understand in the NFL, a lot of teams in order to stay under the cap uh, have to prorate that money out according to the cap accounting 
Uh, but if you trade that player after year one and you gave him a significant signing bonus, all that accelerates in that and eats into your dead cap. No, that's a good point and a good clarification. And off the top of my head without looking, I think Russ Wilson may have been closer to the end of his deal and made that a little easier for the acceleration. All of them were. Look, at, okay. yeah, that's that's why uh, Russ Wilson got a new deal in, in uh, Denver. They were not able to come up with an agreement out in Seattle. Gotcha. Okay. So, all right, let's 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 talk about, since Dak is staying put, it sounds like we'll see what happens with Mike McCarthy and Sean Payton and everything else that's going on there. But let's talk about the teams at the top of the draft and uh, some of the wheeling and dealing I did in my latest mock draft here. Because I had, and I basis, I, I sent you the, I don't know if you looked at it, um, the recent last no, 10 years. No, I did it, and I can't believe we went <laughs> on the air with it, but that's fine, and we're going on air with it again. <laughs> no, my uh, my chart of the last 10 years of, of teams that have traded into the first oh, round. Oh, yeah, and I appreciate you doing the research you did, because that was very informative. And I think, though, seriously, you should share that so people understand what the actual value is, especially going up and get a quarterback, what that's going to cost the team. And the thing is, it was a sad list to look at outside of guys like Patrick Mahomes, which obviously worked out. Lamar Jackson worked out. Um, I'm trying to think. So Teddy B worked out it before the injury, but there, Paxton Lynch. I mean, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? But in terms of the the first trade, I had the Bears uh, allowing the Texans to move up just one spot. And off the top of my head, off the top of your head, excuse me, tell me if this feels about right. So Chicago goes down just one spot. So they get the second pick. Then they get the 66 pick. They get the 104 pick. That's a fourth rounder. And then 2024, next year's draft, they get a third rounder. And this is similar to the Trubisky deal uh, when the Bears went from three to two back in, in 2018. If you are the Bears, are you willing to accept that from the Texans? Yeah, I'm going to hold out, though, a little bit because mm-hmm. I know, uh, and we talked. I think we talked about this uh, earlier, is that I know that the Texans and the Indianapolis Colts both need franchise young quarterbacks and the Texans are number two. The Colts are number four and they're in the same division. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give a first call to the, uh, after the Texans, I'm calling the Indianapolis Colts right now. And then after I talk to the Texans and <laughs> going to start playing that leverage game, listen, right. if you want to come up, I know what I got on the table and you may elaborate a little bit, uh, but this is what it's going to cost you if you want to jump in front of your uh, adversary in your division to come up and get the quarterback you want. Ruthless. So this, they call you yeah, ruthless, Rick. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's just business. It's uh, hey, when you have leverage, I've been in situations where I had no leverage and I had to just give up what I had to give up to go get something, just uh, stay afloat. But when you have the leverage, uh, you have to definitely use that to your advantage. Yeah, I think that's right. So, um, you know, we talked about this just a moment ago on, on HQ, and I want to get your thoughts on this. You mentioned the Colts as a team that desperately needs a quarterback. Uh, at pick seven in real life sit the Las Vegas Raiders. I had them trading up to pick three, and you can see this on YouTube if you're watching. This Debo works the scroller there on the latest mock draft to, to swap out with the Cardinals. And here's the compensation just for mock draft fun. Uh, the Cardinals obviously get the seventh pick as they move down. They get the 39th pick, which is a second rounder, and then they get a 2024 second rounder, and Vegas gets to move up to three. That's similar to the Darnold deal in, in 2018 where the, the Jets moved from six to three. So you can quickly give me your comments on, on the trade uh, parameters there, but more importantly, I want you to tell me why you don't think that the, the Raiders are looking for a quarterback in this draft. Well, why would you think that they would go up and, and get that quarterback? And I understand the Derek Carr situation, but I was trying to understand – what your reason is behind that. And I'm trying to look at the Las Vegas Raiders who have their, their, I won't call them a rebuild, but they have a lot of veterans 
on that roster. They went out and made a big trade to get uh, Devontae Adams last year. Uh, they just extended Waller, I believe, during the season, their tight end. So it's a veteran group. And last year, if you looked at what they did in free agency, and I'm just going off of what I can recall when we were looking at all these rosters, they were very proactive getting a lot of veterans on that team. And it seems like Josh McDaniels, uh, that's his personality. He wants to work with veterans. So I do not see this as, and I'm maybe wrong as well, and you may be right, and I may be apologizing to you after the draft, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you had to add that in there. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why, why can't I be sarcastic? That's usually what I, <laughs> but I do see them getting more aggressive going after a veteran quarterback because they're going to have all this money. Uh, if they make a trade, which I don't know if they'll be able to trade Derek Carr or not uh, because Derek Carr does have control over that uh, with his no trade clause. Uh, but they're going to have enough money to go out and get a veteran quarterback to get with this veteran roster that they uh, started to put together last year. All right. Well, let me ask the follow-up outside of Tom Brady. I mean, let me give you some names, Baker, Sam Darnold, nope. Jimmy, Jimmy G, Jimmy G possibly. Okay. He I was with have... him up in new England. If I know, if I recall, that's right. Uh, Daniel Jones, it sounds like the giants want to keep him, but he will be a free agent. And then, I mean, Geno Smith sounds like he may return, but is he a huge upgrade over Derek Carr? No. So after that, you're you're running on fumes here. So yeah, it has but to be- you're, but I'm going to say, uh, just trying to guess uh, is that they're going to go after someone who's familiar with that scheme because you saw Derek Carr. I mean, what he did last year, and he struggled this year in that scheme because it seems like that may be a little bit more complicated than it is perceived to be on the outside looking in. But if you can get a guy like Stidham who came in there and actually played halfway decent, I'm not saying he's the answer, but he was familiar with the system and was able to function a little more smoother, smoothly uh, than maybe Derek Carr was this year. So if they're going to go get someone, I would try, I would bet they would hone in on if Tom Brady uh, wants to play again, they go get a Tom Brady or they go get a Jimmy G someone who's, pretty familiar with that system. Yeah, that's a good point. So Brady, Jimmy G, and then the only other uh, potential player with experience in that offense would be Jacoby Brissett, um, who is also going to be a free agent and, and did did fine in Cleveland given the circumstances. I don't know if he's an upgrade uh, over Jared Stidham. Maybe he's the same as Derek Carr. I don't know. So we'll see. So Rick is, uh, doesn't think a quarterback's going to be in the mix there. That's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, there will be plenty of other teams that are ready to, to make that happen. Uh, I'm not saying, like I say, maybe a quarterback comes into play if they don't trade up. I just don't right. agree with them trading up I, because if they sit there at number seven, which is on the screen right now, okay, and uh, I don't know, you have it all screwed up with all your with all your trades, so it's hard to decipher what you put This up one's there. right. This is this is the correct version on the screen. <laughs> okay. So you got Houston, who definitely needs a quarterback. You got Indy, who definitely needs a quarterback. Um, you got you've Vegas, talked, who needs a quarterback. You've and you talked about Carolina. Seattle, possibly too. I, I threw that out there just to make create some conversation out there, okay. depending on what they do with Geno Smith. Right. But Geno Smith's getting a little long in the tooth as well, and so maybe they do have someone that's uh, developing behind them. So when Geno Smith and I'm anticipating they do a shorter term deal with mm-hmm. Geno Smith, uh, whether that's a maybe a potential three year deal, uh, and then have someone behind him. Uh, but I think honestly that where Seattle is, 
that they're going to try to get an impact defensive player like a Tyree Wilson, who you don't like, but I, I will, Tyree. <laughs> but Just someone who can have an immediate impact on their roster next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as you go down that list, Tampa Bay could be in the conversation and they're way down there at 19. Uh, the commanders oh, you are got, 16. Yeah. You got a lot of teams that need quarterbacks down below, but that's why I don't think those, those four quarterbacks that I think are potential first rounders three for sure. And if you throw in Richardson from Florida, uh, with all the needy teams that the quarter that need quarterbacks that he's going to go to in a first. Let me ask you this, and this isn't on our rundown, but um, have you watched Hendon Hooker yet? Yes, I have. Okay, so let's say that some team either trades down, like Seattle, for example, they have the twentieth pick as well, or a team trades up and pulls a, a Spielman Teddy B situation. Would you consider Hendon Hooker, who is twenty five at the bot, like at thirty one, thirty two, or thirty one, because there's no thirty second pick this time? Yeah, I don't know. There's a couple of questions. Now, he had a phenomenal year, and, and because of him, Tennessee had the success they had this year on the field. My question would be, if I'm sitting there in front of a draft room and talking to all my scouts, so you're telling me, Ryan Wilson, that you want to go up and trade for a 25-year-old quarterback who is coming off an ACL, who you're going to have to redshirt next year. Mm. So you figure he's going to be 26, 27. It's going to take a year or two developing him. So he's going to be 29 years old before we get the product that we need to get. Right. Or would I rather go with some younger guy uh, that at 24, 25, if I take a quarterback later, because I think there's some good value on some of these quarterbacks in the mid to later rounds uh, that potentially you go get. Yep, and then that's when I would sit down and not say anything for the rest of the, the draft weekend. Well, no, I'd ask you, <laughs> am I wrong or you do you disagree? No, you're right. Would you would you do the would you trade up to go get a Herndon Hooker that's 25 coming off an ACL? <sighs> the thing is, when I, I mean it's at, uh, it's your call. I'm I'm sitting there in the back. I'm I'm just the uh, scout. You're the GM, a, okay, and I'm going to say, "Are you kidding me?" But go ahead. <laughs> This is me, right. Ryan Wilson, the GM who used to work at the White House, which I just found out about, but that's a whole other that's story. That's top secret, Rick. That's top secret. <laughs> so here's that, the thing. Are you I, doing that? I'm asking you. I know. Okay, I'll tell you the answer. So if, say we won five games last year and we desperately need a quarterback. So Hinton tore ACL in November, I think. So he's not going to be ready in August. So he's not going to, he'll, he'll get all the mental reps, but he's not going to be able to, I mean, you're not going to throw him out there in November of this next season. He's just not ready. So, I, no, I don't think so. I was just sort of putting it out there, especially when I look at this list that I that I just talked about of all the teams that have traded up the last 10 years. There's so many guys that were overdrafted, and you understand why? Because teams need quarterbacks. You're not winning without a quarterback. Uh, this isn't the 2002 Buccaneers anymore. Uh, no, not even – sorry, not not even the, – the, the Trent Dilfer Ravens. The Brad Johnson actually did some good things for that team. Um, you're not relying solely on your defense as, as the NFL has changed. So, no, I don't think so. Like, I would feel fine with them in round two. Uh, maybe middle round two, and then afterwards, just because I mean, you know better than I do. They're, they're the top forty-five guys. You can get guys that can contribute right away, no matter what position they play. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to take them forty. I think coming off the injury, if he were healthy though, that would be a different conversation. That'd be you a think? different conversation. We'd yeah. be talking about that. The only concern would be is about his age. So, uh, let me ask you but this: the ACL throws a throws a little uh, kink in the armor. Absolutely. And, and Debo just mentioned this that. Um, Hendon officially accepted his his senior bowl invite. And let's let's um transfer over to, to that conversation because we're gonna be in Mobile next week. Senior bowl starts and it's in full effect. The practices are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The game will be Saturday. You and I'll be there Monday. But how important is it to talk to a Hendon Hooker, even though you know you're not gonna see him play 
in terms of interviews, whether formal or informal, and, and getting a sense of who he is, um, knowing full well that the injury is going to preclude him from, from stepping on the field. The, the all-star games are invaluable for interviews, in my opinion. And we made sure that over that week that we were down to Senior Bowl or if we were at the East-West or wherever what all-star game we were at, that we made sure that we took advantage of interviewing those players. And as a scout, because of coaches, some coaching staffs go down there. There's not as many coaching staffs that go down to the Senior Bowl anymore. Um, but if you can get in front of those kids, at least get the initial interview out of the way, because you have to remember at the Combine, you are limited to the number of formal interviews that you have. So as many interviews that you can get out of the way at the Senior Bowl, at the East-West, then that gives you more opportunities to interview other players when you get down to the Combine, especially once they finalize the, all the juniors that are coming out because they're not going to be at the All-Star Games. So right. not, we know we knocked out 90-some interviews over that three-day period. And Jim Nagy does a fantastic job of organizing that so each team has the opportunity in a organized, chaotic manner, but much more organized <laughs> than it was in the past, about getting in front and at least getting your 20 minutes in front of these kids. And when you go to interview the kids, it is up to the team's responsibility to make sure that you only have that 20-minute period. What do you want to address with that player? Some, it's character concerns. Some it may be just football stuff. Some it may be intelligence things. So there's a plan in place for each player down there when you actually sit there and interview a player, the answers that you're trying to find out. Yeah, and it's easy to forget when you're on the outside looking in and not knowing everything that goes on behind the scenes. This is, As a general manager, you are running a business and you're about to invest in, in a ton of personnel and you are leaving no stone unturned. So let me ask you in the preparation process in the week leading up or however long it is, what, what is the, like, what are you doing specifically, Rick? And then what do you have in your scouts do uh, in terms of just getting to know these kids, not necessarily the on the field stuff? Yeah, no, uh, we actually made a, a, a book um, and uh, the responsibility that everybody had was laid out in that book. So you've got to sit and interview X, Y, and Z. Usually the scouts, that the players coming out of that area, they were really anxious if they haven't already uh, to get an opportunity to, to sit down in front of that player. They have the sources out there uh, that gave them all the background information so they know what they want to address with those players. Um, I made sure that guys that we may potentially be interested in in the draft, uh, I would sit there and try to make sure I sat in those interviews. I let the scouts kind of conduct the interviews because they know the players better than I do at this point. Uh, and then let me ask you this. Uh, are you snarky at all with the players like you are with me? Or are you just very uh, stone faced Rick Spielman? No, this is, I, I went from running draft meetings. Now it's just me and you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> this wow. is giving my fill of sarcasm that I can actually get off my chest because I'm so full of sarcastic <laughs> remarks that I use during the draft meetings that now I can just use them on you. So you have to be professional in front of the, the young men you have yet to really get to know. Oh, no, I, I, you, you, I've had some uh, very, very, very interesting, uh, interesting uh, conversations. Like, well, give us a glimpse. I, I, I give, give you an glimpse. example. Yeah, like Jalen Hurst was the most professional interview mm. besides uh, 
Matt Ryan and, and Peyton Manning that I ever wow, saw. Wow, that's huge. And I didn't know because there were some questions about can he play in the league, not play in the league. But when I sat there and talked to that kid, I could have talked to that kid for an mm. hour. And his personality wasn't like over the top. But to sit there and talk football with him, to talk through the adversity that he went through from Alabama to Oklahoma, moving to Oklahoma, um, you know, because he got benched down in Alabama. Then he went and, and those things show you what that kid is made of and why he's probably having the success he had. Because even though he had setbacks, he was able to overcome. And those are some of the questions that you ask these players. And maybe we should do a segment and I can interview you on actual questions oh, yeah. uh, that I would ask a player, although I don't know if uh, the ratings would drop after that. <laughs> so they get to know I you a little bit better. People are legitimately interested in what's going on behind the scenes because, you know, as a media person, I can bloviate about what I think is going to happen. You actually know what's going to happen. And, and by the way, that sound you hear, Rick, that's Debo crying tears of joy. He's a huge <laughs> Eagles fan. So to hear Jalen Hurts was doing the things he was doing before he got to Philadelphia, I'm sure warms. Debo's heart. And you know what's funny? Like, I I, I, I gotta tell you one other story. Yeah. If you just have two seconds. Sure. Was, no, take your time. I was interviewing a couple years ago at a senior bowl, very prominent player, very good player in the league. Uh, and, you know, like if Jalen Hurts, he knew exactly who I was. And we're sitting there talking. And uh, usually those guys are prepared, but this player was not prepared. Hmm. So he just thought because he's been through 20 interviews already that night or whatever, however amount he had, I was sitting there and he goes, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I introduced him, Hey, my name's Rick Spielman. And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, what do you do? And I says, well, oh, no. yeah, I said, I'm the Northeast scout for the, <laughs> <laughs> for the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, so I'm just down here trying to help interviews. He goes, well, do you know anything about me? Nah, I never, never <laughs> saw a tape on you. Don't know anything about you. I'm just trying to help fill out this. Uh, so uh, all the people that were interviewing him with me that worked for me were like chuckling. It was, yeah. it was actually pretty funny. And then uh, all of a sudden he Googled me while we were sitting there in the middle oh, of a gosh. conversation. And it was like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, <laughs> but, I think but it was gonna... pretty funny. It's like we we would play different games on the kids, you know, because they come in so rehearsed. So you want to try to get to know their personality. And, you know, my sarcastic humor has a tendency uh. to come out every now and then. So uh, we were sitting there, we were interviewing a kid and uh, I kept going, huh? Huh? And then my uh, <laughs> scout next to me says, you have to speak louder into his left ear because he's deaf. So this kid is oh like, turned his chair around, came over and sat and That's started nice. speaking on the left side of yeah. I mean, that's, that speaks to, to today's youth that they're willing to take care of an old timer. Again, <laughs> why you're antagonizing these young men in job interviews, I'll never understand. But that's that's how Rick rolls. I give you credit, though, for for not because I would imagine there are some general managers that would have been taking offense to the player not knowing who you are. You just sort of rolled with it. Oh, I, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it because we had a, I was just talking like I was the north, the northeast scout. <laughs> I go, I don't know. I haven't seen your tape yet, but I think you're. I don't know if you're as good as the kid from Holy Cross that I watched this year. And <laughs> <laughs> kid ended up being a first round pick. So hey, look, and credit to him for Googling you and be like, oh, I'm sorry that I wasn't prepared. I think the lesson there is just treat everyone the same and and assume yep. that they're important until you find out otherwise. Uh that's how I dealt with Pete Briscoe. I thought he's a big deal until I figured out who he was. Um he's just a guy, just he puts just, on his uh drawers just like we do. <laughs> uh I don't know if we uh, have uh uh, proof that he actually wears drawers, Rick, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another time. Okay, let's uh, get back to the podcast. Let's get back to the to the podcast. So, look, I want to talk to you about 
players and your big, your old school, your big thing is showing up and playing, especially in bowl games. So let's start this year and then we'll work our way back about players who helped themselves or maybe players that you had questions about because uh, of their uh, decision not to play. And what we see sometimes is that players who are borderline first round pick or maybe borderline top 50 guy come and ball out the first two days. And then their agent says, you know what? You're good on Thursday. You don't need to play. And, and that's what happens. But Will Levis got an invite. I don't think he accepted. I don't think he's coming. Um, and I'll, I'll um, group him together with Joe Burrow, who was a day three guy best case before he got to LSU. And the way he played that year, he didn't need to show up anywhere. And he didn't. No, and he, he was the number one overall pick. No reason to do it. But if you're Will Levis coming off that sort of year, which is much worse than what Justin Herbert did his senior season, he showed up because he had something to prove. Does that leave any sort of bad taste in your mouth about the process? Well, I would be first thing I'd be addressing with him is when you get in front of him at the combine, if you get an opportunity to uh, interview him at the combine is, okay, you didn't play very well this year. I understand all the potential excuses or this or that, but every time you had an opportunity to prove that you're the number one quarterback in this draft class, you didn't get, you didn't go out and do that. Whether it was not playing in your bowl game, not participating down at the senior bowl, uh, so to me, the first red flag that's going off into my head is what is he trying to hide? And because I imagine if he's not showing up at the senior bowl, he's not showing that, you know, opted out of his bowl game. I will bet you uh, a dollar that he does not throw at the combine. And the next yeah. time you'll see him do anything from a football standpoint, I'd be shocked if he did, uh, will be at his pro day. Right. So, let so me to ask me, you that's red flags. What are you hiding? Just go out there and throw the ball or go out there and participate. You know, I want guys that want to go out there and play when they have an opportunity to play. Well, let me double down then. Did you learn anything about Justin Herbert that you didn't already know by him showing up in Mobile for a week? Yes, I did. I okay. learned a lot. I learned about him as a person. I didn't know what type of person he was. I've watched the tape on him. Yeah. Uh, you know, to go down there and watch him actually throw live because I didn't get an opportunity to go see him throw live during the season. It was a great opportunity to do that. But there was no question that <laughs> this kid was one of the most competitive kids mm. that I've ever interviewed. And if you want to go throw a ball out on the uh, playground, uh, let's go, let's play. And those are usually the guys that are going to have the best chance to have success. Okay, so it is important. It's not just like we knew that Justin Herbert was physically gifted. I mean, there were questions about how the senior season went, maybe because of the offense, maybe something else. But, it, you know, he he was good at the senior bowl. He didn't, like, set the, the world on fire, but he helped himself. You're I not thought. going to just judge him, okay, like I have a top 10 grade on him and he does okay at the senior bowl or he misses some throws at the combine. Oh, God, you know, we're going to have to move him down to the third that's not what it's about. What it's right. about is going out there, getting to know the kid, getting to see him. To me, the one of the most important things that is overlooked is when these kids are interacting with each other. All these guys, some of them were teammates, most of them weren't, come together and try to formulate a team in a week. So you kind of watch what guys are stepping up and want to be the first to drill, which guys are the most competitive uh, day in and day out at practice. Uh, which guys are the coaches correcting the most uh, from the mental mistakes they're making because it's a very simple offense and very simple defense that you're allowed to play down at the uh, senior bowl. What guy's willing to go up and, and get beat one time but jump right back in and, and win the next battle? Those are the things that you can't see when you're just watching game tape, 
but a lot of the stuff that you can pick up when they participate in this type of uh, atmosphere. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the recent MVPs at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I'll be honest, Rick, and this is probably going to make you feel bad. I really, really like Kellen Mond coming out, and you guys took him in the second round. Third. Uh, and it, third round, excuse me. The top of the third, is that right? Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, that's when uh, uh, the kid from Florida – Kyle Trask uh, went late Trask second. And then, and then Mims all went. They went That's right. Uh, well, Trask went first, then we took uh, Mond in the third, and then uh, I think Mills went to Houston right after our pick. Right. So what did you see in Kellen Mond at the Senior Bowl, if anything? Or did you already, obviously, you probably had a pretty good opinion of him. I thought he played some really good games, but I remember talking to people in the league that that thought he was too robotic and, and didn't think it was going to work out. What did you see that perhaps – other people do. You're just seeing that there were a couple of throws that he made in that game that weren't robotic because you, and you got to remember sometimes the systems they come out of, um, you know, that you remember the old Penn state when the Todd black ledges of yeah. the worlds came out and all those guys. And they thought, cause they were taught to put the ball by their ear here and throw here <laughs> as old, old school. school and, and yeah. you know, that's just what they were taught. But sometimes when they get out of that, college atmosphere that they had uh, played in, uh, you got an opportunity to see him ad lib a little bit more mm -hmm. and throw the ball a little bit more naturally than maybe you saw during the season. I, the game that stuck out to me most was uh, the Florida game uh, when he made some incredible throws that game. And then you go back and you look at the LSU game the year he came out and he didn't play very well in that right. game. But those are some of the things that you're hoping, you, you know, you're seeing, okay, this guy's a quarterback. Is he taking command of that huddle in there? Or, you know, is he talking to his teammates? Because that's part of that position is what kind of leader he is and are those guys kind of following him? And one of the questions we used to ask all the time is when we had a receiver uh, come through and we were interviewed a receiver, if you had to rank the quarterbacks on your uh, roster mm. at the senior, how would you rate them and why? That's interesting because I know that Jalen Waddell and um, who's the other receiver in the draft class? Jerry Judy got similar questions about Mac versus Tua. Right. The, but I'm talking about, okay, you spent two or three days down here right, with these right, quarterbacks. Right. On your unbiased opinion, tell me about these quarterbacks. Yeah, no, that's right. All right, let me ask you quickly about this, and then we'll we'll go to break. Uh, 2018, Josh Allen's down there as Prisco likes to say he was playing with bouncers and bartenders at Wyoming, so it's hard to get a read on what kind of player he was going to be. Um, from your recollection, I think he had an up and down three days at, at the Senior Bowl. Like Justin Herbert, was your opinion changed, or did you come out of it feeling similarly in terms of I don't know who this guy's going to be? No, it, it I, again, it's just verifying some things, but the most important thing down there is to – Look at all the ancillary things that if you didn't see them during the season that on and you just watch tape to actually see them. See, like I said, his interaction with his teammates. Um, see what type of leader he is. Uh, see if he does have a bad throw. How does he bounce back or does that linger for the next period? You know, maybe through a crappy one-on-one -on -one period and then he goes in seven-on-seven. -seven, does that still linger or all of a sudden? No, he lights it up in the seven-on-seven -seven period. So you're trying to see and measure a lot of things that you can't see when you just are watching these players on tape. And I'm guessing he was, you probably, you guys probably had him rated first round prior to, and obviously after. Yeah, okay. no, we, we never changed the grade based okay. off the, uh, the senior bowl. We just utilize that to uh, verify the things that we didn't see live in live and verify all the 
uh, other avenues that you're in answers that you're trying to get on these players. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Rick and I are going to go through some players that we are looking forward to seeing once we get to the senior bowl. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back. And, and Rick, we're going to go through these players here. We'll try to go pretty quickly here. We're 35 minutes in. We don't want to be here all day. I'm sure you have very important things to do. So let's start with the quarterbacks, and you start with your guy, Clayton Toon out of Houston. Yeah, no, I was interested. I liked him on tape. He was not as athletic as some of these other quarterbacks coming out, but he could move well enough. I thought he had a big arm. I thought he made some incredible throws. He struggled in the Texas Tech game, but other games he really lit it up. You know, he had the little receiver, and, and Ryan, I uh, apologize for not remembering the uh, little receiver down Nathaniel there. Daniel Dell, I think. Yeah, that will be down at the Senior Bowl as well. Yep. Uh, but I thought this kid uh, threw the ball naturally. Um, you know, and at the time I did him, I did him back in maybe October. Uh, that I thought he was ahead of your guy O'Connell from uh, Purdue uh, <laughs> when I try to start putting these guys yeah. in the clusters. And I thought he had a bigger arm and was a better thrower than uh, the Purdue kid was. Yeah. And O'Connell is limited physically for sure. And, you know, that's the whole thing about these day three guys. In fact, almost all the quarterbacks, you're just trying to, to, to figure out and, and sift through uh, what should be noise and what should be something you should pay attention to. I went with Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. He's listed at six feet, so he could be shorter than that. We'll find out next week. He doesn't have the best arm. Sometimes he he throws without setting his feet. <laughs> It'll um, fit all the other midgets that you have on this list, too, that you're uh, very enthusiastic I love, I love about. <laughs> so, But he gets rid of the ball quickly. He has a quick release. And, um, you know, he seems to be a pretty smart player in terms of what he's looking at pre-defense, uh, pre-snap, and then post-snap. Uh, but, again, at, at, at this point, we we're talking about these these players here in particular. You're You're trying to fill out the roster. Um, guys that can come in and compete, I, they're, they're not going to be starting right away. No, and I like this kid because I thought he was very competitive Yeah. Uh, when you watched him on tape. I just didn't think he had the deep ball accuracy or the big arm down the field. 
Um, I guess my comparison to him at the time was a little bit of a Case Keenum type. Uh, I guess if I yeah. had to put a put a comparison on him, I don't know if you've seen anything different from a comparable, but uh, he reminded me a little bit of Case. That, I mean, that's a great comp because Case did pretty well for you guys uh, uh, not too long ago, for sure. All right, let's move to the wide receivers. I'll start because I know you're going to talk about your favorite player in this draft uh, in just a second. <laughs> Boy, is that sarcasm running off on you? Jeez. Uh, so Rasheed Rice. Now, he's 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 a thick player. Let me get his, his measurables. Yeah, he's 6'3", about 2'10", I believe. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he's going to run very fast, but he, that's like, fine. He's listed as a 4'4 guy. He doesn't play as a 4'4 guy, so we'll get that no, he confirmed. And he he seemed to have stro- struggles with separating. But the more I watched him, the more I came around on him. And look, he's probably a Nikhil Harry type, if we're being honest. Maybe a little more athletic, which necessarily... Why would you put the, the death wish on him well, the fact him to that? that because that, as that, soon as a scout said something like that in the draft room, it was like, oh my God, you just killed the kid. But that means he should be a third round pick and not a first round pick. Like that's like okay. Maybe late day two, early day three. Is that that's what that I, means? Nikhil Harry probably shouldn't have gone top twenty five. I don't think. Uh, okay. Re- in retrospect, but he's a big body receiver. He can make some contested catches. Yeah. Um. He, he he showed glimpses of separation in some games on vertical routes, but it didn't show up consistently. And I, I think he's you know he's a number four guy coming in probably. He has to do something on special teams. I don't think he returns kicks, so he'll have to be coverage. Uh. But I want to see him in the senior bowl because at times I was frustrated watching him and other times like, okay, I, I see the possibilities there. So I don't know if you want to comment on Rasheed, if you want to go straight to your, your favorite player in the last 10 years of drafting. <laughs> yeah, between him and Justin Jefferson coming up. <laughs> yeah, Justin Jefferson 2.0 as I call him. Now, uh, Xavier Hutchinson is, is my like guy I'm, I'm very anxious to see down there. I think he had better separation speed than Rice does. I yeah. thought he made more acrobatic-type catches. I thought he was faster and had a little more juice or magic with the ball in his hand after the catch. Uh, I know you're going to point out, well, I watched him and he had the big drop in the Texas game. I seen <laughs> that too. But some of the <laughs> catches that he makes are going to be highlight reels here on CBS HQ when you, you tune go. in when he's a pro. Yeah, so um, let me see. What if I take him in the middle of the third round? Would you feel okay with that? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be high-fiving you. Okay, great. All right. That's where he is for me. It sounds like maybe you're a little higher on him. And we'll see. I mean, things change when you see these guys run in in person and you get a number as opposed to seeing them run against, you know, defensive backs that you don't know how fast they are in college. Um, all right, let's go to running backs. You can start, and I'll, I'll follow you up. You're going to go with Eric Gray at Oklahoma, who I watched yesterday. Did you like him? I did like him. I did like him. 59209 I- is what he's listed at. Yeah, no, and what I liked about him, I under, my biggest concern of him is his breakaway speed, but I thought he was one of the more violent runners yep. in this draft. I mean, he lowers his pads. He can make sharp cuts. Um, he is spinning, always fighting for extra yards on contact. I thought he was a very, very competitive runner, even though I don't think he's going to run well, but I think guys like this end up making it. Uh, because of his style of running and because of how violent of a runner that he is. Yeah, it's funny. My my note was – what's that? And he, he and he has good hands out of the backfield. Yeah, I actually made a note that uh, he may not have the open field juice to run away from defensive backs, but he can stop on a dime and get yards uh, after contact with his little small area quickness there. So I, I think that sort of is in line with what you're saying because he he can – he can cut and go when he wants to. I watched him a few times where it looked like he was sort of rounding his cuts, and I was 
I didn't, I didn't know if, what was going on there, but then he, he flipped a switch and, and, you know, he's making guys miss in, in small areas consistently. My guy, your guy too, <laughs> Sydney Brown's brother, Chase Brown. Uh, you're going to hate the cop because you told me you hated it already. I, I mentioned Michael Carter. Prisco says he hates it too, just because you said it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but he's similar size, 59205. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I that's fine. Res- I want to respect your opinion. Go ahead and tell me what the <laughs> yeah. hell you see that's so good about this guy. Small, shifty, explosive back who will see a crease and consistently rip off big runs, uh, but not a, po- a prototypical between the tackle runner. And he'll struggle to create on his own at times because, in part, because of the size. I thought he took way too many like uh, straight up hits. Like sometimes running backs have an ability to take glancing blows, and I felt like he was he was getting uh, blown up a little too much. But I, I loved his ability to his his ability to cut on a dime and, and get going. Um, I thought he consistently saw the hole and, and, and would hit it. Um, had some fumbling issues uh, between uh, at points in the game, and um, as I mentioned, didn't create a lot of. Uh, a lot on his own behind the line of scrimmage. Cause sometimes you see running backs who are able to at least fall forward if there's nothing there. And sometimes it felt like he, he may have tried to do too much. And, and I don't think this guy has great speed either. And I, I'll agree with that assessment, but I thought too many times he got done, gunned down when he got it to the second level or open in space. Well, let me ask you then. So he's listed at four, four, five coming into the season and we'll see where that comes down, but typically running backs, you don't need to be a four, four, five running back. Right. I mean, you could be a four, six guy and be like Le'Veon was a four, six coming out of Michigan state. So he, how big was he? He was big coming out of Michigan state though. The, the, the bigger backs. Yeah. You right. may get away with that. Gotcha. But these smaller shifty backs, you, you, you know, and I, I understand they all have some holes in them, but a lot of these guys that, to me, like Gray, I would take Gray over Brown right now. Now, we've got a long way to go through this process because I think he is quicker twitched and a more violent runner that, than uh, Chase Brown is. And I've talked to you about this before. I have a hard time sort of figuring out where to place these running backs. These guys, to me, and please tell me where you come down on them, fourth, fifth round guys, or is that too high? I, I would low? agree. I, I would okay. agree they're Saturday players. Okay, and Debo just told me uh, Le'Veon was 230 at the Combine. He played a little lighter than that, I think, once he got to Pittsburgh. He slimmed right up, but he was a bigger, sort of more bruising back coming out of Michigan State. All right, let's go tight ends. Uh, I like your guy. So you start with your guy, Brayden Willis out of Oklahoma. You're going to love my comp for him. It's going to make you – you're going to pull your hair out. No, I already made a comp for him. I hope you didn't take my comp when we talked about him. No, I have a different one. What's your time? Oh, okay. Who did I say this comp was to me? Isaiah Likely. Isaiah Likely, yep. Uh, because I think this guy is a tremendous football player. They actually direct snap in, in a wildcat to him and let him run. The biggest knock on him is going to be his size, and he's not a traditional Y at the line of scrimmage. Right. But this guy is a very good receiver. I think he's a very good athlete for the position. I think you can use him multiple ways, whether you put him outside, you put him in a slot, you put him out of the backfield. He's just a very good football player that's not going to be a traditional on the line Y type tight end. Uh, but with the way the NFL was evolving, I think this guy's going to create some mismatches in the passing game. And he's not afraid to block. He just he's just small and he's going to get he's going to struggle to create movement when he is blocking, but it's not effort. And as long as I see a guy that will is willing to at least try to block, uh, maybe you can improve that with some technique and things like that. Maybe get him a little stronger because a lot of these kids aren't physically to the max of their maturity from a phys- physical standpoint and a strength standpoint. But this kid was just a, a football player that really uh, jumped off the uh, tape to me. 
Yeah, so he's listed at uh, 244, 6'3", 244. So he's, he's, you know, he's big, not for, for fullback tall, I mean. Um, and I comped him to a guy who came out, played a similar position, in sort of a tweener role, 6'1", 248. You're going to hate this so much, I can't wait to tell you. Guy by the name of uh, Kyle Juszczyk. Who? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, right, he's not a typical inline tight end. And he played a lot of, uh, you know, lines up at H-back. He can line up at fullback if you want to. You mentioned the direct snap. I thought he was a really competent blocker, like one of the best blockers uh, for quote-unquote tight ends. He is undersized, no doubt about it. But he consistently locked guys up at the second level. So you can do the linebackers and to the safeties. And I thought he did a good job with those players. But, right, he ain't going to be blocking defensive ends successfully. You, you know a better comp besides that comp you just gave? Maybe Uh-oh. the kid that came out of Maryland. Uh... Oh, Chig, Aquanco. Aquanco. Yeah. I There's another that. guy that was yeah. there. See, they're just coming off, flowing out of the top of my head right now. Yeah, you're on fire. So, but I, I liked him. I, I liked him um, for different reasons than you, but I think we came to the same, the same point in the middle. So let me ask you this: I had him as a sort of a mid to late fourth. That's where Usechek went. Isaiah likely went in the fourth. Um, Chig went in the third, maybe. I have to double check. I think if this kid runs well enough, he's got a chance to get in there late Friday. But Ooh, definitely uh, a fourth-round pick. But I think this kid's going to run pretty well. If he can run in the four fives or potentially Ooh, even lower, that is uh, that this kid, territory. this kid's going to rise up some draft boards. That's why I put him as a guy that I want to look down at the Senior Bowl. And he is, as you mentioned, he is just a good football player. He's a guy you want on your team for sure. Uh, my guy is Luke Musgrave. Now he only played a handful of games. He suffered a knee injury and, and uh, didn't play the second half of the season. But he ain't going to block anybody, so don't get any misconceptions about that. Uh, but he is 6'6", 250. He's listed as a 4'8", 6 guy preseason. We'll see how that that plays out. But he is an absolute matchup nightmare in the middle of the field. Uh, I think he has some yak ability. Uh, he has the ability to separate at the top of the route against linebackers and even safeties. And, and I like him as a, you know, a, a passing chess piece. Again, he ain't blocking anybody. But I think uh, as we see these sort of tall wide receivers – uh, excuse me, uh, tight ends in the middle of the field, helping out these young quarterbacks. I think that could be his value at the next level. I, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that. And of the 6'6", tight ends down there, I think the kid from uh, Clemson, Allen, is a yeah. big kid that I watched. This guy's way more athletic. Uh, yeah. Your guy, uh, is it Durham from Pay the Durham tight end like? from, yeah. uh, from uh, Purdue? Yeah, I think it's scheduled to be down at the Senior Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. I think this guy is more talented than both of those guys. Yeah, and Payne Durham looks a little bit more like your prototypical tight end, like 6'5", 255 or whatever he is. He's not as athletic. I don't think it's Musgrave. Um, I want to see where, where, where Payne sort of ends up, too, as well, because, um, like I said, he looks like the prototypical guy, but we seem to be moving away from that. All right, let's go to the offensive line real quick. Let's go back to your guy. You love this guy, number two behind Xavier Hutchinson. I think he's number two on your board. He'd be your second overall pick if you were – uh, what board? Do I have a board? That if you guess and give me a board. If you were the Texans, you would take. <laughs> I just listen to what you tell me to what to do, and then I do it. That's why you. Yeah, and Debo, you. Debo tells me what to do. That's <laughs> why you're the trouble you're in. Uh, all right, Cody Mock out of North Dakota State. Again, just a good football player. I think he was in our conversation on that. Uh, I don't know. Like, let me ask you, put it to you this way, because if people listen to previous, uh, the previous episode, they know that we love this guy. What are your concerns about him? Is it the lower level of competition and the age? Uh, I, a little bit the age, but I'm anxious to see his length because I see think he is more than athletic enough to play left tackle. I just don't know how long his arms are. It's tough to tell off the tape, but I love the way this guy finished, uh, especially in the run game. 
Now, it'll be interesting to see how he holds up in one-on-one pass protection drills down there uh, because they they don't pass the ball a lot at North Dakota State. Mm. Uh, so he may have a few holes down there. And if you see a guy down at the Senior Bowl and as part of an evaluation, if they're out there on Tuesday and he looks horrible the first day of one-on-one drills, you watch and see if he can progress by Wednesday and Thursday and see if you can see small steps of improvement because he's getting coached by NFL coaches down there. They're working with him with the technique. But if he continues to stay flat or even worse as the uh, week continues and the pre-draft process, uh, part of the pre-draft process, then you may like, eh, I may have overgraded this kid a little bit, but I love this guy's tenacity yeah. and energy that he plays with on the on the football. He's field. an animal. Uh, pre-season, I had him at thirty-two and three-eighths inch arms. So that's that's on the that's on the line there, right? That's that's right at the edge. Yeah. So he's going to have to be uh, ball out. And look, based on what we saw, he can certainly do that. My guy is he, he has four hundred inch arms. Dewan Jones. The absolute and weighs 400 pounds, but that's 400 pounds, <laughs> just only a slight exaggeration, the right tackle for Ohio state. And I was actually talking to Scott about this because I didn't know where to put him. And and he said, like, even though he's not going to be the most athletic player there, he is so enormous that it's hard to get around them. And his arms are so long. He can sort of redirect guys. Even if he gets beat initially, that said, you're not, you're not going to take him in the first round because the concerns aren't the on the field. It's like, okay, well, he controls weight, those sorts of things. Um, so I love his on the field productivity given that he doesn't look like your prototypical offensive tackle as a general manager are you concerned about the like those are the questions you're asking in the in the those, meeting yeah those are the questions you're going to try to get to the bottom of but i'll give the credit i did this kid early and wasn't a huge fan because i didn't know if he moved well enough but the more tape you watch on him as you go through the season the better and better he got i think last year he really struggled uh when i remember watching hutchinson uh mm. in that michigan game uh hutchinson had a day on him now so he had a day all, but he's, all around. Yeah, but he uh, he's definitely improved this year. The biggest thing teams are going to want to look at is, is he agile enough with his feet? I understand his massive size, and that's going to make him tough to get around. But is he going to be able to match up against some of the edge rushers he's going to have to go in this league? And if they do get an edge on him, is he able to recover? Does he have the balance to recover? If not, some teams may look at him inside as a potential guard, but that's also a whole nother topic because if you move him into guard, is he going to be quick twitch enough to react because the things happen a lot faster inside than they do when you're out on the edge as a tackle. All right, let's say but quickly. there are guys that play play pretty good at his uh at his size in this league. There's a kid down there at uh, Kansas City that was with Baltimore that went from right tackle over to left tackle out of Oklahoma, if you recall. That's exactly the name that Scott mentioned too. You guys yep. are pretty good at your jobs. No, um, we're just, you're just guessing like everybody else. <laughs> so uh, quickly, let's assume that Dewan and, and Cody both have, you know, above average senior bowls. Doesn't change your change your grade. Which one are you drafting first? Uh, let me get through the senior bowl here first. Now, okay. if you go with the left tackle, probably the more athletic guy, or if uh, Dewan goes down, Jones goes down there and balls out. Yeah. Um, then, then, you know, it's a big man's game, especially in the front seven. So you have to remember that when you're evaluating these guys. Right. Uh, that there's some true men that are playing in those trenches, and you better be able to match up against the, the power that it takes to play in this league. All right. We're going to uh, speed up here a little bit because we want to get to Rick's pick. So I'll, I'll do my guy Carl Brooks quickly. Um, <sighs> Bowling Green, 
here's the thing. He's a just he's just a good football player. I made a note. He's so incredibly fun to watch. High motor. He's physical. Shows a little quickness. A variety of pass rush moves. And he's consistently disruptive. Now he's the exact opposite body type of your guy Andre Carter out of Army, who I think needs to get a little stronger. And Zach Harrison, who looks like he he was chiseled in a lab. Um, I don't know if you chisel things in a lab, but if you do, that's Zach Harrison. So, so tell me about Andre Carter and Zach that's Harrison. That's an art studio, but you can chisel in a lab if you want. Because <laughs> those guys, they look like football players, but they're not quite finished products, it feels like. Yeah, with your guy, Brooks, I'm just kind of curious to see where is his actual position. Because really, and I believe, is he almost 300 pounds or 300 pounds? He's listed at 63305, but he played a ton of like five and seven technique. Yeah, and they stood him up from a two-point. <laughs> and now he's going against MAC competition, right. the Mid-American right. Conference competition. Uh, but uh, I can't remember the Power <laughs> 5 team they played in early in the season. Uh, but he showed up in that game as well. I think it was – did they play UCLA this year? I can't uh, remember. what. I'll check real quick. I think so. Yeah, but my guy, uh, Carter from Army, is just long. He's athletic. I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to try to use him some and drop him in coverage uh, yeah. because I don't know if he's a two-point or can he put his hand in the dirt. I'm anxious to see. He looks thin on the tape, but yeah. what he does come in at. But this guy is a explosive. He's got first-step quickness, and he has all the tools that you want to work with, especially to be an edge pass rusher in this league. Yeah, Bowling Green and Carl Brooks play UCLA in week one. You're exactly right about that. Um I'm going to skip over these linebackers, Rick. We'll talk about them. We'll, we'll regroup next week and talk about my guy, Carlton Marshall, out of Troy, who's, I mean, you talk about undersized. He's undersized. He's my little bowling ball guy that I love in the middle. And your guy, Dayon Henley, we, uh, we've talked about before um, out of Washington State, and we'll, we'll see how he does in, in this, uh, this week's worth of practice. But I want to get to the defensive backs, and then we'll get to Rick's picks. So let's start with your guy, Daniel Scott, the safety out of Cal, who, who's a lot of fun. What do you got? Yeah, no, he's an interesting uh, player. I'm anxious to see how athletic he is in space. I think he's got very good speed. You see him get out of his burst. He's come down. He'll hit you. Uh, he's a little tight out of his turns when you watch him on tape, but he has some recovery speed. My biggest thing is I thought this was a very good football player. Uh, not a lot of people talk about him. I think he's going to run well and better than most people think at the combine. I'm just anxious to see, is he had in the box safety or when you go down to the senior bowl, does he have enough athleticism to play on the deep half of the field or in the deep middle part of the field? So interestingly, 61207 was his listing before the, the season, and he was listed at 460. And one of my notes was he looks much faster than that on tape. And I actually, one of the other notes I made, I thought he was better than Juan Thornhill, Taylor Rapp, Nasir Adderley coming out. And all those guys were late second round picks. So are you taking this guy late second round if he's there? Uh, let me get through the pre-draft process first, but I do <laughs> like, like this guy as a football player. That's your version of pleading the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get all the information before, I okay, know. when we go down to Kansas City and start talking about these guys, I'll tell you exactly where I take them. All right. You need you need a little patience. People aren't patient these days, Rick. All right. Let me talk about my guy. I love this guy. Now, th there'll be questions about his, his deep speed, but he's like 6'2". He is... Hold on, let me find him. I had him. Oh, there he is, Anthony Johnson, UVA cornerback, 6'2", 202. He's listed at, as 4'5", but he, he looks a little slower than that at Ish. times. But he, he I thought he moved pretty well, changed direction-wise. I thought he did did well in terms of staying in phase down the field, even on some crossing routes. 
Um, he's supposed to be an incredibly good young man in terms of off the field stuff. There's no concerns there. Louisville transfer. Um, and again, huge cornerback that, that feels like he, he plays primarily outside. He's not coming inside that, that can match up against the DK Metcalfs of the world. What would you think about my guy, Anthony Johnson? Yeah. Well, if he can cover Xavier Hutchinson, then I'll agree with you. If he can't, then I'm, cool. I'm the biggest thing I'm concerned with is the speed and what yeah. kind of system. If you're going to play man coverage all the time, I think he's going to struggle. If they play some of the stuff that Seattle plays and some zone coverage that he may be a better fit than a true pure man coverage type team. Yeah, that's right. And again, uh, I'll plead the Rick fifth and say, we'll know more once we get down to mobile and get our eyes on him. So are we going to have some side bets going on every day down there on your guy versus my guy? Yeah. Debo actually made a list on the rundown of the bets we have going so far. And, uh, we will revisit those next week and we'll add a few more because, uh, at a dollar a bet, you know, I'm going to make some, some real coffee money here. if I win a couple (laughs) of these things. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll do our favorite segment, Rick's picks. All right, Rick, it's that time. So we're going to do today, we're going to talk about uh, Cordell Patterson. And this is an interesting one because uh, you guys had three first-round picks in this 2013 draft class. And that first, that first round of the 2013 class was, was tough. Like, looking back on it, 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 there were, it was hard to find players. And you found some good ones. You got Xavier Rhodes at 25. You took Sharif Floyd two picks earlier, 23. Then you traded back up uh, at 29 to get Cordell Patterson. And I'll just tell you, in case you forgot what you gave up, you gave up the 2013 second round pick, which turned into Jamie Collins. You gave up a 2013 third rounder, which turned into Logan Ryan, two good football players. 2013 fourth rounder ended up being Josh Boyce. And then a 2013 seventh rounder was um, Everett Dawkins, all to the Patriots. And you got Cordell, of course. And um, let me say this first. He's a wide receiver, but he also did some returning, obviously, and was very successful at Tennessee. What was your plan for him Offensive scheme-wise, because now he's one of the best running backs in the NFL when you brought him in to the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I always uh, got intrigued with guys this size with unique athletic traits. And, uh, you know, when you're behind the scenes, uh, and let me just tell you what happened in that draft. So we we took Xavier Rhodes, ended up being a very good player for us. Um, Sharif Floyd would have been a very good player for us, but he had the knee issue and then had some, uh, uh, you know, an incident at a hospital that I don't want to get into, but ended up costing him his career. So I was all, man, we had a good first day. We got two potential starters coming out of this draft. Uh, so I went down to the press conference to start talking. Well, when I'm down there at the press conference, I have George Payton, Rob Brzezinski, all my guys. They continue to work the phones. And all of a sudden, they get New England on the phone. And I think is that we ended up trading with New England. That's right. So I'm up there at the press conference. Hey, Rick, to- let me stop you, though, quickly. Let me ask you. So you knew that you are going to talk about the Xavier Rhodes pick. And your employee, the guys you work with, had instructions to let's try to get back to get Cordell or just to get back in the first round for something else? Yeah, no, we were talking about specifically Cordell because he okay. was just such a unique athlete. So I said, hey, you know, just fish around just to see if there's <laughs> anything there. I've got to go down and do this press conference. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest with you. Um, but I knew that we liked him. Uh, and then I went down, did the press conference. I was right in the middle of talking about either Xavier or Sharif. And then all of a sudden they pulled me off the stage. And so I was like, what? I was like, I'm on a roll here. I'm getting up there. Like, 
yeah. I was like, no, I thought we had a good draft. And and uh, all of a sudden I got pulled up there and I, I walk into the room. I said, what the hell is going on? And they says, listen, I think we can get Cordero Patterson. We got a deal that uh, we can work out because uh, George and Rob Brzezinski uh, handled all the trade talks for me because mm. you're sitting there watching the board and monitoring and moving guys here and there. So you always had, I always had those two that were my two lieutenants that did a great job working the phones. And uh, so they said, I think we got a deal for Cordero Patterson. So we, we did a lot of pre-draft work on him. He was a kid that, if you remember, was a JC kid. Yeah. He didn't show up to Tennessee, I believe, until August. And 20, was only there for six, said, yeah, absolutely. he was only there for six months. And when you watch this kid's athletic ability and his ability to run at that size and his ability to go up and catch, uh, I was like, this kid's pretty intriguing. He's going to be a project, uh, but you can't teach or coach what he has. So we spent a lot of time on can he learn how to play receiver. Uh, at the time, we had Bill Musgrave as our offensive coordinator, George mm. Stewart as our receiver coach. And usually behind the scenes, when you're talking to your coaches, I said, I like this kid as an athlete. I said, can he learn how to play receiver? And so uh, you rely on your coaching staff, who also spend a lot of time with him. And George Stewart actually went to his pro day down at Tennessee. Uh, and came back and had rave reviews, like visiting with the kid, took him out to dinner, spent some time with him. Um, so we were very intrigued with it, and we knew that he can be an impact player right off the bat as a kickoff returner. We didn't know if he can do punt return, but he can definitely do kickoff return. I believe he's the uh, all-time leading touchdown record holder in the NFL right now with eight or nine kickoff returns for touchdowns, and he won a lot of games for us that. So when Bill Musgrave was the coordinator, okay, he was up for potential rookie of the year. They were using him on jet sweeps. I remember putting him all over the place because I don't know if he was ever going to learn to just be, okay, a route runner. Mm -hmm. Okay, you take up, go up 12 yards, and then you take a sharp turn to the right. Uh, but count your steps as you're going. Mm. He was more of an athlete to just get the ball in his hands and let's see what he can do. So we did a lot of creative things with him as rookie year. Then we changed and then uh, didn't fit the system that Norv wanted uh, because he wasn't a true receiver. So he kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. But, I, we, you know, we kept him on special teams. He ended up being one of our leading tacklers on special teams along with, uh, you know, winning us some games as a kickoff returner. But we couldn't find a position for him. Uh, I loved Cordero's attitude. I loved his uh, – personality. He just goes out there and has fun, you know, so then he bounced around. Uh, we didn't sign him back because we didn't have a position for him. He went to, I believe, Chicago for a little bit, went to New England for a little bit. Uh, you know, then he ended up down in Atlanta and they put him in at running back. And now, you know, look what he's done as a running back down there. And those are the things that you're go back and forth with when you're behind the scenes, you're having these draft meetings. Can he actually learn a position or is he just a phenomenal athlete? And are there ways that we can get him the ball so he can create plays for us because he's just uh, so naturally gifted? And so they found a niche for him down in Atlanta. I know he took another one or two kickoff returns back <laughs> for touchdowns this year as a kickoff returner that actually uh, set an NFL record for a number of kickoff returns. But that's kind of the, the story behind that pick. 
That's a great story. So you were trading back up with the thoughts of Cordero. You weren't necessarily looking at uh, another wide receiver. Some of the other wide receivers that were yet to be drafted, Devon Austin and Dre Hopkins went ahead of um, of where Cordero went. And then next up was Justin Hunter, Robert Woods, Aaron Dobson, Terrence Williams, Terrence Williams excuse me, Keenan Allen. And then after that, there's sort of a little drop-off. So there, was there any other conversations about trading up for any other player, or you were just interested in No, passing? we were just very intrigued with the athlete and how we can – implement his athleticism, whether it was returning, whether it was doing this or doing that, not specifically, okay, we're going to draft a, just a receiver, right? We just wanted to get another playmaker that could put points on the board for us in whichever way that he was going to do that, whether it was handing the ball off to him, whether it was jet sweeps, what, I mean, he, <laughs> he was great on a couple of reverse passes, throwing the ball. He was a phenomenal, I mean, he could have been a quarterback the way he throws the ball. I mean, I've seen him in practice throw the ball 70 yards down the field without even thinking about it. Um, But the one thing that I learned from that is that you just have to make sure that everybody's on the same page and there's a specific plan in place on how you're going to utilize this kid's talent. So we'll end on this quickly. So you mentioned Norv came in um, and and didn't, he didn't. I I could give you an example real quick. It was uh, Percy Harvin. When we drafted Percy Harvin, it was the same situation. Was he a running back? Was he a receiver? Uh, Was he return specialist? Uh, He was another one of those guys that was just a a freak athlete at at his position. And he ended up uh, winning uh, rookie of the year. And interestingly enough, you traded Percy Harvin that same draft to the Seahawks for the pick that allowed you to get Xavier Rhodes and for the 2014 third rounder that became Jarek McKinnon, who's still balling out. So um, that worked out as well. And I think, I think you would agree Cordell Patterson, that that pick worked out for the Vikings, right? Even though at the end of the day, North necessarily didn't have a, a place for him. It seemed like he, as you pointed out, scored a lot. Of I just, yeah, he, he was just too good of an athlete and too good of a football yeah. player. It, it's just, you got to make sure that when you're in these meetings, that there is a specific plan in place. Otherwise, you end up potentially wasting a pick. Right. And as Debo just points out to me, Percy is definitely a future Rick's Picks conversation. <laughs> so I think that's right. We've got a long list of things to talk about Rick's Picks-wise. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. We actually didn't even go that much longer than usual. Uh, that is it for Episode 8. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. And if you have a mailbag question or suggestion for Rick's picks, let us know. Um, Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Debo. And we'll see you guys next week from Mobile, Alabama. Senior Bowl. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.